this morning, signs of maturity. If you turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, the first nine verses, there's an interesting question that really comes from this passage of Scripture that we begin with this morning as we begin chapter 3. And that question might well be this. What's a pastor supposed to do? What, what is it that really is my job or maybe Dave's job or one of the assisting pastors or Chuck or somebody who's here in this fellowship or maybe any pastor anywhere? What is it that a pastor is actually supposed to do? Great British Bible teacher G. Campbell Morgan had four sons. All four of those sons ended up in ministry. I have two sons. Both those sons are also interested in ministry. But one of G. Campbell Morgan's sons had a son, and that son was asked, what do you want to do when you grow up? Are you going into ministry too? And he said, no, I want to work for a living. (laughs) Sometimes I think people do question what it is that a pastor does, what it is that is the calling that's been placed upon a pastor as he ministers in in the pulpit. It's impossible to evaluate the church unless you can really evaluate pastors. Because to some degree, uh, you all, for better or for worse, uh, are hearing the word of the Lord through someone like me. And so I pray this morning that we'll see this passage of Scripture for what it is, uh, that we are going to be encouraged. We're also going to be challenged. Because my job is not to make you comfortable. My job is not to fill your ears with things that you would like to hear a lot of times. My job is not necessarily to make you uh, feel comfortable about where you're at. My task, my goal, my job, if you will, is to teach you the uncompromised Word of God. And if I do that well, then God's Word speaks for itself. And God's word goes into your hearts, and you will become, through that hearing of the word, what God wants you to be. As you apply it, as you live it, as you go out and serve in it, that's what will happen to you. But the moment I decide that I really don't want to teach a passage of Scripture, or I think I'll skip part of the Bible, or if I, for some reason, decide that I am tired of getting emails that, tell people or tell me how people are displeased with what I may have said the Sunday before or the Wednesday before or two months ago or two weeks ago or two years ago. The moment I begin to do that and start to look at who's the most popular, I am in trouble and so are you. And so this morning, the signs of maturity... And it says there in verse 1, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and we'll look through verse 9 this morning. And I, brethren, could not speak to you as spiritual people, but as carnal and as to babes in Christ. Now, I really don't believe that for the most part that is the case in this church. I know many, if not most of you, to some degree. But I can tell you this. There are still babes in this church. And sometimes those babes get very upset because I delivered the meat. And they didn't want the meat, they wanted the milk. Because they don't like what the meat says. And so they begin to choke a little bit. 
gag on it a little bit, if you will. Could not speak to you as spiritual people, but as carnal as the babes in Christ. I fed you with milk and not with solid food, for until now you were not able to receive it. And even now you're still not able, for you're still carnal. And I want you to notice this word carnal. It actually means fleshly or flesh-driven. It means to this group of Christians in Corinth, what the Apostle Paul was saying is, I wanted you to grow up. I wanted you to mature. I wanted you to move past the elementary things and to begin to do the extraordinary things. You have with you this morning a couple that's in their early 20s that have said, Lord, you have my life, and if you want us in China, we'll go to China. That's maturity. That's what maturing looks like. That's being dedicated to the Lord Jesus. That's not to put a guilt trip on anybody. That's to say that from the youngest of us to the oldest of us, God wants to use our lives for His kingdom. And He wants us to grow up in Christ. And yet I can say to you that as a pastor, one of my, one of my great concerns is I see much of the body of Christ staying in that milk state. They don't really want to grow up. They enjoy having, in essence, mommy and daddy take care of them. And and I want to encourage you. I want to challenge you. We live in a world that needs mature Christians who can take the meat of God's Word and live it before the world and go change this world for the cause of the gospel and for the kingdom. It's time for all of us to grow up, to be willing to take some risks, to take some chances, to step out in faith, and to do what God's called us to do. And so he says, you're still not able, you're carnal. For where there are envy and strife and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? He's going to tell us the background of this in just a moment. But it is interesting when you look at the concept here, you can tell where someone's at with the Lord by how they behave. You can see maturity. It's visible. We, like babies, should have a diet that's indicative of where we are. Babies drink milk. Babies don't eat solid food. Mature people, if you ever sit down at a dinner table and somebody serves you Gerber, you're going to be a little upset, amen? Because you're an adult. It's not what you need. It's not what you want. You should be looking to eat solid food when you become an adult. It is unbecoming. I mean, I don't know about you, but if my boys were still drinking on a bottle at five or six years old, I'd have to slap them. That's not where you should be. It's completely unbecoming anyone who's growing and maturing to stay in a childish state that you've already passed. And so the Apostle Paul says to us, Kind of behaving just like other people do. And he tells us the context. 
For where one says, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are you not carnal? For who then is Paul, and who is Apollos, but ministers through whom you've believed? As the Lord had given to each one, for I planted, and Apollos watered, and God gave the increase. And so neither is he who plants anything, nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase. And now he who plants, and he who waters are one. And each one will receive from his own reward according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, you are God's building. We very often get hung up, just like kids do, in trying to find something that really makes us happy. And in this case, the church at Corinth had some fractions in it. And those fractions were caused because one liked Paul and one liked Apollos and yet another liked Peter, we've already seen. Because perhaps Paul was the intellectual. Maybe Apollos was just the, the emotionally driven guy. Maybe Peter was just kind and tender. And each one of those specific giftings has a place in the body of Christ. But can I tell you, there are times when you need a good whooping. Amen? You do. And so do I. I speak to you as one of you. There are times when God needs to take me to the woodshed and say, Jeff, what are you doing? You know better than this. Here's what my word says. You're not living it. You need to change. But what kids do is this. They go find a bunch of people who are just like them. And everything in their life revolves around having fun. They don't like to eat their vegetables generally. Give them a choice between Snickers and broccoli, the choice is relatively obvious. Children very often gravitate towards those things that please them. Can I say to you, part of the job of a pastor is to make you feel uncomfortable. Not just to make you feel happy. Part of my job is to, without compromise, teach you the entire Word of God as best as I possibly can. And because that's the case, when people get upset with me because I do that, that's kind of a badge of honor to some degree. It's not my intention. It's not my desire to cause people to be stirred up. But the simple fact of the matter is, the Word of God, taught without compromise, will do that by itself. It's going to touch some nerves. It's going to cause some people to be really upset. But I can tell you this, if you change churches every time you hear something you don't like or you don't come back because you look in your Bible and go, oh, I know where that's going, you're just like the child who wants the candy. You need the whole deal. I need the whole deal. I need to be challenged. I need to be slapped around every once in a while. I certainly need to be encouraged. And of course, I want to do all of those things as well. But the bottom line is, family of God, the church can become divided 
when people start making it a beauty contest. Well, you know, Pastor Jeff taught a message last week, and I mean, I got so offended. Can I just share with you, if you stay here long enough, I'm going to offend you. I guarantee it. You're going to get mad as a summer hornet on fire at me at times. And maybe some of it's me, and it might even be warranted. Why? Because last time I looked, my pants go on one leg at a time, just like yours do, and I'm human. And occasionally I will make an error. Horrors. But most of the time, it's because God's speaking to you. There's something that's happened in your heart or your mind, and you're not really mad at me. You're really mad at what the Word of God says. I can't tell you how many times I get emails, and, you know, at the end of it, basically, it's all about, well, God's Word said it, and so I said it, and so somebody doesn't like it, so I'm the bad guy. I'll take that batch, and I'll take that bullet. Doesn't mean I like it, doesn't mean it doesn't hurt. But I don't have any choice if I'm going to be a good pastor. Part of the problem with the church today is pastors are unwilling to be unliked. They want to be liked. I would rather tell you the truth than be liked. I would rather have you hate me and me tell you the truth than be liked. Doesn't mean it doesn't hurt. It doesn't mean I like being hated. But I'd rather tell you the truth. Because the truth sets people free. Lies, they'll keep you in trouble. Turn over to Ephesians 4, and I want to just briefly look at the middle of that particular chapter. And if you would, pick up in verse 11. And I want to just read this all at once. And it says, For he himself gave some to be apostles, and some to be prophets, and some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. Notice why, for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. My job is not to do all of the work of the ministry. It is to equip you, the saints, for the work of the ministry. So if I'm actually doing my job, my job is to make sure that you guys are doing your job. And your job is the work of the ministry. That's all of it. And notice the work there previous that there are some who are called to each of these things. Not all. Not everyone's going to be a pastor. Not everyone's going to be an evangelist. Not everyone's going to be in a, a teaching role. No one really is a prophet in the sense of the Old Testament anymore, but you can prophesy as you bring forth the Word of God to someone. It's truth, and you speak it into their life. You, you see, my job is to equip Till we all come to the unity, notice this, of faith, it says in verse 13, and the knowledge of the Son of God, to be a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. In other words, when Christ's work is done in each, each one of us, it perfects us. It brings us to that place that God intended for each of us all along. Notice what it says next. 
that we should forever no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried away by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, in the cunning craftiness and deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love, may grow up into all things into Him who is the head, Christ. You, you see the evidence of, of the church maturing is a church that's doing the work of the gospel. A church that's actively involved in being what God's called us to be. Not just coming and getting filled up and going home and boy, wasn't that wonderful. It's going, being filled up, going back to your home and say, God, use me for something. You put me on this planet for a reason. I want to be used. Notice it says we mature, no longer children. And let me help you identify what that's really saying. It doesn't mean that everybody needs to go in full-time ministry. It doesn't mean if you're not going to China in a couple of weeks that you're in sin. But what it does mean is you're going to be a better mom. You're going to be a better dad. You're going to be a better student, a better employee. You're going to be a Christ-like example to people on your block. When you go to the store, you're, you're going to identify those things that maybe got dropped in your basket by the checkout guy and go, hey, you forgot to count these. You, you see, for us to grow up means for us to be like Jesus in this world. That's what it means. It means that we stop worrying about the beauty contest stuff. Well, I'm going to go over here because, you know, he never preaches on politics. I'm going to go over here because it's all about grace. I'm going to go over here because, you know what? They have ground coffee that's done every morning. I'm going to go over here because they have meals before service. Or I'm going to go over here because they have a blazing youth group. Or I'm going to go over here because of this or because of that. Family of God, it is your responsibility to bring those things to fruition where you are currently being ministered to. It's your job. It's not mine. I'm to set you free to serve. I'm to give you the opportunity and to teach you as best I possibly can so that when those things come up, you go, yes, God's going to use me. But if you're looking to me to grind the coffee, it's going to be really strong. I can't be here and in the nursery. I'm not teaching the Sunday school right now. Those are all people that have heard from the Lord and they're using the gifts that God's given them. They're maturing, they're growing. And each one of us has a place in the kingdom. Maybe some of yours are here serving actually in the church, but certainly there are places for each of you to serve. Don't become like the, the Dead Sea. The Dead Sea gets fresh water in it, but it's dead because it has no outlet. It just sits there and gets stagnant and salty. There's plenty going in. 
but there's nothing going out. We need to be busy about our Father's business while we're here on this earth. My task, my goal is to prayerfully equip you for the ministry that God's called you to do. There should be a consistent growth pattern that's visible. And I want to be really careful because I really don't want to bring anybody under condemnation. It's not my point. That's not what the scriptures are saying here. But what it is saying is you should see some consistent growth in your life. You know, when you first come to Christ, you're doing good not to shoot up heroin the following day. Amen? But that shouldn't be true ten years later. Wow, I'm still not shooting up heroin. There, there should have been some consistent growth in your life. It shouldn't be, wow, you know, I read a verse today. Maybe you read a whole chapter. There should be some consistent growth in our lives. Immature believers, very often you can spot them because they're still worldly. They're still carnal. There hasn't been any maturing going on. Sure, they go to church and they sit around, but you know what's, what's really heart-wrenching for a pastor? They're asking the same questions five, six, ten years later that they asked when they first got saved. They're still stuck in gospel mode for themselves instead of preaching the gospel to somebody else. We need to be growing. We need to be maturing. We need to find ways for the Word of God to come into us and then out of us. Seek to the, those things for yourselves. It's really easy to be controlled by your own desires. All you got to do is do nothing. Just wake up in the morning. You'll be in the flesh. Amen? You will. You'll get up. You'll, you know, your toes will spread on that little caster wheel on the bed and flesh right there. You'll find some words that you thought you weren't using anymore. It'll happen. If you're not seeking to grow, you won't grow. It says here in verse 1, Dear brothers and sisters from the New Living I'm reading now, When I was with you, I couldn't talk to you as I would to mature Christians. Notice it says he couldn't. You know why? They couldn't receive it. They couldn't hear it. They were still stuck being babies. The educational process of your children, hopefully they're not in kindergarten for 12 years. Amen? You kind of, when you send them to kindergarten that first year and you send them off and they have, you know, milk and graham crackers there at the little break and they get out their blankies and they flip them out there and they take a little nap. If they're 16 and doing that, you got issues. There's something seriously wrong. The, the educational process has failed. Amen? You would march into that classroom and go, what are you doing with my kids? Can I tell you that the same process is really in play as Christians? There should be some maturing. We should not be laying on our blankie looking for milk and graham crackers. We ought to be taking in something that's a little more meaty than that. And growing. And then doing that work that, that should happen naturally as an outflow of our lives. That's where we should each strive to be. You know, when you sit there and you, you know, I still to this day have no idea why anyone studies calculus. I really don't. I mean, I know it's useful. It's got, you know, there, there are principles there. If you're going to be a nuclear physicist, you need it. But, you know, most people when they study calculus, they look at it about a week after they finish the class. They can't remember a thing. 
Was that cosine angle? Nobody really knows. But here's what happens. In the process of learning, even though you don't use it, you mature and grow. Your mind becomes open to deeper thinking. Your heart becomes open to deeper living. And it's the same thing spiritually. If you don't stretch yourself, if you don't attempt to do more than you did before, you will not grow. You'll stay in that perpetual state of a child. you got to test yourself. You need to stretch a little bit. You need to get outside of the box. All of us do, myself included. I still attempt to get out of the box. My box has gotten kind of large. It's tough to get outside of sometimes, but I still attempt to do it. Stretching, testing, growing. You see, these infants hadn't grown in their faith because they were acting just like the world around them. You see, there's always people who are willing to keep you childlike. The world likes that. Because the world can keep you in spiritual infancy. Satan doesn't have much work to do to keep you dissuaded from being a real solid believer. Because it seems natural to stay childish. He goes on in verse 2 to say, I'd fed you with milk and not with solid food because you couldn't handle anything any stronger. If you've got an infant in your house and you slice off a big old fatty piece of prime rib, stick it in his mouth, you better get ready to do a Heimlich. Amen? Not able. Got, you know, those gums don't do well on prime rib, right? He'll be over... Sucking on it and swallow that thing. Next thing you know, it's blue. That's a truth. It's also a spiritual truth. That's why it's so inappropriate for us to stay in that state. We should be able to handle something a little stronger than spiritual milk. Spiritual milk are things like this. Jesus loves me, this I know. Spiritual milk is... For by grace you've been saved through faith, that not of yourself, it's a gift of God. Lest any of us should boast. That's milk. But as you take in that milk and all of a sudden your life is being transformed, you need to move into deeper things. All of us do. I need to be able to handle the challenges of of moving forward with my life for the cause of the kingdom. It's not difficult to see that maturity in each of us, and we need to encourage each other to be mature, to grow up. I'm surprised at how many people struggle and struggle and struggle and never get out of immaturity. They end up back in the same sins that they were in when they were 20 years old because they don't grow. They don't mature. They don't learn to trust God. You know, sometimes we look at the things in our lives and we wonder why God's not really working too much. It's because we're not working very hard at letting God work too much. We're just like really comfortable. You know, we sit there in our nice, warm, cozy armchairs with our bowl of popcorn watching TV. You can do that spiritually as well. And I'm not preaching against television or popcorn. 
I happen to have a TV and I like popcorn, extra butter. But you can't live on it. Otherwise, you'll be as big as a house. You won't even be able to get out your front door. You'll be good for nothing. There's a place for popcorn. There's a place for ice cream. There's a place for Snickers bars. But there's also a place for broccoli and Brussels sprouts. Amen? We need to have that balance. We need to move when God tells us to move away from the elementary things. There in the first part of the fourth chapter of the letter to the church at Ephesus, it says in verses 1 through 6, previous to the part we just read, For I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. And it goes on to say there's one faith, one Lord, one baptism. We've all been called. We're, we're to walk worthy of that. It's not worthy to continue to be children, spiritually speaking. We should be mature. When somebody comes to you, you should give them wise counsel from God's Word. You should be able to address problems in people's lives. People go, well, can I come in for counseling? I, I have My counseling schedule is relatively full. But can I say to you that mostly I don't do counseling. I do discipleship. I just simply encourage people in what God's Word says. That's what I'm doing. You realize you all can do that? If you have a Bible that's got a concordance in it and a topical index in the back, you can counsel from God's Word. If I had to meet with every single person that has a question about the Bible in this church, that would be a full-time job. You guys can do that. And you should do that. You know why? Because you'll both grow. Well, I don't know the answer. But let's meet next Tuesday and I'll find out the answer. You may not have it right off the top of your head, but I guarantee you you can find it if you look, and that's how you mature. I'll give you an analogy from basketball. You do not become an 80-90% free throw shooter by shooting free throws once a week. It's by 8, 10, 12, 14, 20 hours a week of standing at that free throw line. Same thing, same finish. That's how that happens. That's maturing. You, you see, what happens is, in your life in Christ, the more you practice, the more like a pro you look. The more you take in the Word of God, give out the Word of God, take in the Word of God, give out the Word of God, the more that ball gets past you, the more you shoot consistently, the better you're going to look when the game comes. But when Satan throws you into that situation because you now have been tested or tempted in some way, shape, or form, and you haven't practiced, you're not going to do too well. You're going to get up there and it's going to not be pretty. My job is to give you the tools to go practice, but I can't practice for you. You have to practice for yourself. You need to take the Word of God and apply it. And use it. Begins at home. Begins in your own life. Begins with your devotional life. Begins with my devotional life. I keep a little journal on my desk at the office. And generally I write in that pretty much every day. I just sit down and say, Lord, 
I, I, I'm just going to, this is to you. And sometimes it's very, it's odd. You go back and read, it's like, that was weird. But it says things like, Lord, I don't know what Brandon's doing right now, but God, would you have your hand on him? Many of you are in that journal. Like, Lord brings that to mind. Do you not think that I don't have other things to do? I have lots of other things to do. But there's nothing more important than practicing. I've got to practice too. I need to allow God to work in my life. Then I want to encourage you to do the same thing. That doesn't mean you follow me. That means you follow the Lord. I may give you a good idea every once in a while, but God's more than capable of speaking to each of you personally. And He does. And prayerfully He does it through His Word. Verse 6 and 7 say there in the New Living Translation, it says of Paul, My job was to plant the seeds in your hearts, and Apollo watered it. But God, not we, made it grow. Maybe some days I'm watering, some days I'm planting, some days I'm fertilizing, some days I'm pruning, some days I'm tilling. There's all kinds of examples from the agricultural world that you could use. And that's true for you and it's true for me. Some days you're plowing, some days you're planting, some days you're watering. If we all do that together, we're going to be really effective farmers. We're going to be doing a lot more work if we're doing it together than if just one of us is doing it for everybody. Amen? You know, I don't know about, how, I don't know how many of you have ever had any, uh, any time on a farm or in a farming enterprise, but I can tell you this, it's hard work. And it's daylight to dark. It's not nine to five, it's five to nine. That's why families used to be much larger than they are today. Because if you got up to go out and work a couple hundred acre farm and it's just you, you might as well just go kill yourself. Because you're going to probably die doing it anyway. But if you got a big family and everybody's doing their part, and you got somebody in the tractor with the sprayer, and you got somebody over there taking care of the weeds and the, the margins of the field, and you got somebody's making sure the irrigation's turned on, you do all those things and everybody does their little part. Guess what happens? You reap a wonderful harvest. And that's the picture that the Bible teaches us. I can't do it all. I shouldn't do it all. We should do it together. I can give you some instructions so that you're kind of prepared to go out and find that piece that is your piece. And then you do your piece 100%, and I do my piece 100%, and each one of us joins in and does their piece 100%. There's a lot of potential in this room for us to accomplish great things for the kingdom. Don't get stuck on me. I'm not the answer. The Lord wants to use you. Wants to use all of us. We become His servants. His fellow laborers. Notice what it says for there in verse 9. You are God's field. You're not mine. You're not Calvary Chapels. You're God's field. You're God's building. He's the one that's at work in you. Perfectly, I don't mess up his job. I don't make it harder. 
Prayerfully, what I do gives you some tools to hear from the Lord. Each of us has functions that we can carry out for the kingdom. And when we do that, we grow. And the the example here is, and especially the one of the field, if you've seen, there has been a tenfold increase in the last 40 years in crop production in the United States. Tenfold. In other words, if you took an acre of land and you planted it, currently that one acre produces what 10 acres used to. You know why? Very meticulous learning curve that allows for the very best, very specified fertilizing, very specialized seed production, very specialized farming techniques, and it all didn't come from one person. It's a whole bunch of skill sets that all got lumped together and now is known as modern farming. Agribusiness. You see, as each one of us take up our little part, our crop yield gets bigger too. You do yours, I do mine. You probably have a better way to do certain things than I. I may have some better ways to do certain things than you. But as you do your part and I do my part, we're God's field together and we produce a great crop. And that is exactly what Jesus said in John chapter 15. He wants us to bear much fruit. He wants us to have a a field that's full, overflowing for his kingdom. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this time this morning. And Lord, I pray for these, these precious saints. God, that no one would go forth from this place condemned. Lord, that they wouldn't feel as though They're not doing their part. But, Lord, for each of us, that you just cause us to seek uh, greater things than we've been previously doing for your kingdom. Help us to serve you with abandon. Help us to give you the fullness of all that we are. Lord, everything, our resources, our time, our talent, our treasures. We pray that you'd move in a mighty way in this church, Lord. We we desire to see uh, the, the great things that you want to do on this mountain come to fruition through us just simply laboring in your field together. And so, Lord, I pray that you would equip us as the saints. Lord, help us to listen for your voice. And when we hear your voice, that we do it, that we grow and mature in you. And, Lord, we're thankful for what you have done. We look forward to what you will do. We bless you. We praise you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand?